Good morning, church. My name is Luke Smith, and most of you know me. I serve on the worship and prayer team, and I'm delighted for the opportunity to share the message this morning. Can we just pray for a minute? Father God, thank you for this opportunity to move church outside walls. I'm struck by what used to be within four walls, has now multiplied to so many different locations across the United States and even parts of Europe. Lord, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to enter into our time together today. We pray that all can hear clearly how you are speaking to each of us. As we enter into Acts 6, I pray that you show each of us how to respond to what you're doing around us. Thank you, Jesus, for our time together this morning. Amen. So as we're continuing in our Acts series, we find ourselves today in Acts 6. And while reading this passage, I was brought back to some moments growing up. I grew up the oldest of four boys, no sisters, and as you can imagine, disagreements would happen on the regular. There was one disagreement between two of my brothers that I remember very clearly. My mom was cooking dinner, and my brothers were in the other room arguing over the noise level. One was playing the TV too loud as the others were trying to do homework. And it was not very long before both were standing in front of my mom, very passionately stating their case for how the others were wrong. My mother was cooking dinner and had all the burners going on the stove, and this was really the last thing she needed to be worrying about. But she knew it was important and led them to a compromise. By letting each of them see the other side, they were willing to lower the TV and move into another room. Each of them went back and the argument was dispersed. Dinner was not burned and the night moved on. As we enter into Act 6, we see a similar disagreement, although this one is on a much bigger scale. This morning, I'd love to welcome Zach Gilson to read our scripture for us. Zach Gilson, I'm going to be reading Acts chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because the widow, their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order, on wait, in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to the prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition rose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the, and against the law. But we have heard him say that Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. 
All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked at, intently at Stephen, Stephen, and they saw, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Awesome. Thank you, Zach. So before we get into Acts 6, this is just one of my favorite passages. But let's give a little context. So we see two different cultures of people. We have the Hebraic and the Hellenist Jews. So the Hebraic Jews lived and remained in Judea, while the Hellenist Jews were scattered and culturally had adopted Greek language in other parts of the Greek culture. But there was one main point to make here. All of these mentioned in the story were followers of Jesus. Let me say that again. All of these mentioned in this story were followers of Jesus. The second thing I want us to notice is verse 1. In those days, the numbers of disciples were increasing. I point this out because it's easy to say in times when church numbers are declining that conflicts increase, but this conflict arose in the midst of growth. So I'm now going to ask us just to hold that to the side for now, and we'll circle back to that at the end of the talk. In the last piece of context, there is a major conflict that arose surrounding the widows being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So in those days, the communities would take responsibility over those in need. They would collect money once a week and disperse it to those in need, and widows, according to one commentary, would get 14 meals, so enough for one week. Now once these widows became followers of Jesus, the town would stop providing for them, so the church had to step up and provide. So we've been working through Acts, we've seen the disciples go through quite a bit. First, we saw them adding Matthias to the 12. Then we saw Pentecost and the Holy Spirit moving throughout the church. And then we saw healing and onlookers starting to question what was happening. We saw arrest and lying and even persecution. They had already gone through quite a bit at this point. But now, this complaint is brought up to them from their own people. Some would argue that this complaint was much deeper than the isolated issue. Some would say this was evidence that one group had dominance over the other based on pure culture alone. So the disciples received this complaint, and we're not told if this complaint is valid. But we know the disciples think that these widows matter. It would be easy for the disciples just to walk away and say, that's not my job, or that's way over my pay grade. But they could have just said, hey, why don't you guys just figure it out on your own and we'll be over here. But they didn't. They were willing to listen to the complaint and understand their response. They were invested into this cause. It's so important that the author, Luke, uses the same word, diconia, to describe the distribution to the widows and their ministry. It's on that same level in their eyes. But the disciples know that following Jesus needs a village, and it would be important to empower others to solve this problem. So the disciples present their proposition to the crowds. And let me draw your attention to the word crowds. People were interested in what the church was going to say. This was a major deal. So the disciples asked the crowds to go and pick seven among them that meet the three criteria. So they had to be people of good report, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom. That's some really good criteria. Full of spirit and full of wisdom alone is pretty great. But then it says what I think is one of the most powerful lines in scripture. It reads, these words pleased the multitude. So let's get this in order. These seven people had not done anything. These seven people had not even been picked yet. The crisis, not yet avoided. But they are pleased. And why is this? It's because the disciples saw a problem and responded. When the disciples realized that they could not actually fix the problem themselves, they empowered the ones being marginalized. They said, find people among you that we can bless to fix this problem. The crowds returned with seven names. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, 
Also Philip, Brocarius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Do you know what is beautiful about all these names? They're all Greek names. The seven that were chosen were from the marginalized community. They could have been the ones complaining to the disciples. But now, out of these seven individuals, we see Stephen, who we're going to circle back to at the end and really talk about next week. But Stephen becomes the first martyr in the church post-Jesus. And we see Philip, who we know goes to share the gospel to Samaria and is visited by Paul, the one who orders his friend Stephen's death later on. Procarius is assumed to have been martyred later on for proclaiming his faith. You know what's even more beautiful? Is later on when Philip returns, to the, the Bible introduces him as Philip the Evangelist. It was the moment that empowered him so he was able to go and share the word of God with countless others. Then the disciples do an amazing thing. They lay hands on the seven and impart the Holy Spirit on the seven men. This is proof that this is a major deal for the disciples. And after this, the gospel continues to spread. Priests came to know Jesus. And what blows my mind is that these priests had seen Pentecost. They had seen a man healed before their eyes. They saw men escape from prison. But it's how the church responds to a dispute that led them to know Jesus. It was them seeing God's love and reconciling heart that led them closer to God. As many of you know, I work for a ministry called InterVarsity, where our mission is to share the good news of Jesus on every corner of every college campus. At InterVarsity, we use this structure called the discipleship cycle. We have a living Bible. The word breathes life each and every day. And the discipleship cycle has three steps. Hear the word, respond actively, and debrief. When we hear the word, we can apply it. I think the respond actively part is super important, and the word actively makes the idea of applying even stronger. We ask our students to engage in an activity or challenge that actively embodies the word we just read. Then when we're done, we come back together and debrief the experience. We don't just do the thing, we talk about how it went. And I think the discipleship cycle is something that the church might benefit from as well. We're in a season where it seems like whatever a person says leads to an assumption of a particular political affiliation. And I'm guilty of this as well. But this morning, I want us to be moved by what the Word of God says, not by what the news says. Can we do that? Awesome. In the global church, we see a complaint. We see a marginalized group of people that are being overlooked in an unjust system. For some of you, that seems very clear, and others would disagree. And I want us to remind us to enter in like the disciples. It didn't matter if it was true or not. The disciples entered in with the posture of listening because any division in the church is a division that needs to be reconciled. A few months ago, racial inequalities in the U.S. were brought back into the spotlight and I entered into a response mode. In my debriefing time, I've noticed that our responses in America is similar to what is taught in a school during an active shooter drill. We run, we hide, and we fight. I confess that I am able to hide, and that is not the correct response. There is a part of me that gets to hide, and that's part of my privilege. And it would be easy to choose to not take action or respond because these things don't directly affect me. And I could continue living pretty normally. However, I see in scripture that what's happening to the widows does not directly affect the crowd or even the disciples, but they both respond. And sometimes it's easier to sit back and not respond in the same way God invites us to. Sometimes it's easier to argue and not listen or to avoid the call to respond altogether. If the disciples had said, we're too busy to deal with this concern or I don't know what you're talking about, that doesn't affect me. 
the church would not have continued growing. This is a direct complaint to the church. And I think the racial inequalities of the US are as well. We have the choice to run, hide, or fight. And I was noticing how many social media arguments I see on Facebook between Christians every single day. And don't get me wrong, I put myself there too. But as a church that knows that our God, a God of reconciliation, loves every single person on this earth, that every single person was made in his image, why are we fighting? Think of, non-Christian, think of a non-Christian who is curious about Jesus, and they turn on Instagram and they see two Jesus followers fighting. When a complaint is made to the church, it may not seem like it's your job to fix it, but it's your job to be part of the solution. We see in scripture when the complaint is made, it's not just the disciples that are part of this, but the whole crowd who had the responsibility of addressing the problem. That's us people, we are the crowd. It's our responsibility to respond. I also wanna point out there are moments that some people in the crowd would need to put their differences aside and seek God's heart. Putting our differences aside and seeking God's heart does not necessarily mean agreeing to disagree and leave it alone and never talk to those people again. But to acknowledge that something is wrong, that something matters, and God cares about it, and is worth seeking for wisdom together as the body of Christ. Many of us put our personal opinions front and center in our minds, and we're not willing to actually lay that down in order to see what other people are experiencing. C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his books, for what you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you're standing. We are all standing at different angles and spots, but we can come together and listen to one another. And when we do, I believe that we will see the kingdom of God continuing to move forward. We will see that these people who are willing to risk it all to solve the dispute. If you were asked to risk it all to follow God's plans, would you? I ask that to introduce us to this next part of Acts 6. We see Stephen, one of the people picked to help end this dispute, so full of the Holy Spirit that he scares the opposition. They decide to make false accusations against Stephen to the point where he was arrested. But the most amazing thing happens with Stephen. Scripture says in the midst of all this persecution and lies, Stephen stood accused with the face of an angel. So we saw the Holy Spirit dwell with his people a few chapters back. And as we look at Stephen's journey, we see him get picked to solve a dispute within the church. So what do we know about Stephen? Well, we know he's a man that's full of grace and power. We know that it is someone full of good report, and we know that he is full of the Spirit and wisdom. We literally see Stephen being imparted with the Holy Spirit like five verses back. (laughs) But God has given us the Holy Spirit so we can be more like Jesus. Paul describes that Spirit, and this is even hard to say, but Paul describes that Spirit that helps us complete Jesus' unfinished work. But that also means we get to step into God's suffering. We need the Holy Spirit. This past week, I got the privilege to help run a Holy Spirit conference for students across the country. And we stepped into what does it mean to be a co-heir with Christ. We are all co-heirs with Christ. Even if you don't know it, we're all co-heirs with Christ. And Stephen knew what it meant to be a co-heir with Christ. As he stood accused, he had a face of an angel. Next week, we're going to dive deeper into who Stephen is. This morning, I believe God is inviting us into reconciliation. Sarah Kluwer gave a word a couple months ago about unity, and that is a word our prayer team has been getting for years. And I believe now is the time for unity. Now is that time. All of us have things that we need to lay down in order to see something from a different point of view. In the comments below, uh, we'll be posting some materials to enter into that conversation. 
Today, would you respond to what God is inviting you by watching the video, reading an article, or reading a book? My invitation to us all today is to enter into a mode of listening, not being defensive, but being able to listen to what someone else is experiencing. In a book called Longing for Revival, revival is defined as a season of breakthroughs in word, deed, and power that ushers in a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness. As we continue to pray for revival, we also need unity. In order to have unity, I think all of us, both individually and as a church, will need to be stretched. As revival is going to usher in a new normal where we will all experience kingdom fruitfulness. So today as we sit in Act 6, I want us to be a community that can hear the word, respond actively, and debrief the experience together. As I close today, I would love for each of us to commit to taking a first step. Maybe your first step is to pray on your response to what is happening around us. Maybe it's to engage a positive conversation with someone that has a different political view. Maybe it's picking up a book written by someone whose culture is different than your own. Maybe it's picking up a book that talks about justice, and in that comment below, there are some recommendations. Whatever the small step is, we celebrate that as a church. I would love if in your circle for all of you to take some time and talk about how you would like to respond. As we commit to respond to the word of God together, we will start to see unity grow among our communities. What is God inviting you into today? I'm going to welcome the worship team back out as we take some time in prayer. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, we pray for unity. Father God, I pray that we can have faith like Stephen. Even in the midst of persecution, we can hold our head up high and say, God, you are so, so good. Father, as we enter into what you are calling us into, we ask to be filled by your spirit. Lord, we cannot do this alone. Amen. We want to give some space this morning to listen to what the spirit is saying to you. So we're going to take two minutes and we're just going to have the worship team play some music and we're going to sit in silence. Um, would love for you guys just to listen to what God is speaking to you. God is, uh, the Holy Spirit is active among us no matter where we're sitting. Um, and so as you hear words, um, I encourage us, let's, let's be a community that can build trust and unity together. Let's post what we hear from the Holy Spirit in the comments below. Holy Spirit, come. Father God, our world needs you. We pray for unity in the global church. We pray for the marginalized voices, God. Give them space to speak. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen.